Welcome to Powered by How, where thought leaders and industry leaders come together to discuss the technologies being developed to build a more sustainable energy sector. In this episode on the role of non-metallics in a sustainable future, we'll be discussing how non-metallics could be used to help us meet our global climate goals. The subject is little understood, so to talk us through some of the potential, we're joined now by Ahmed Al Saadi, Senior Vice President of Technical Services at Aramco. Ahmed also oversees and provides direction for Aramco's corporate, environmental and occupational health policies. Dr. Enrique Garcia is Chief Technology Officer at the UK's National Composite Centre. Enrique has extensive experience in technology strategy and product development. Claudio Santoni is Engineering Director for Aston Martin Performance Technology. Claudio has many years experience in high performance sports cars and non-metallics and advanced composites. And Ilham Kadri, CEO of the chemicals giant Solvay. Under Ilham's leadership, Solvay has launched its Grow and Solvay One Planet Sustainable Objectives. Welcome to you all. Now let's start with the basics. Many people may not be familiar with non-metallics, so I'm going to ask you all, what connection do they have to sustainability? Let's start with Ilham Kadri and the science. What are non-metallic materials, Ilham? And in which areas is Solvay involved? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, thank you, Nisha, for having me and giving me this wonderful opportunity to share with you wisdom and my excitement about the non-metallic uh, as a space, as an opportunity, and more holistically how such materials and innovations, derived innovation, can pave the way for carbon neutrality, more process efficiency, and even more. Well, so solvay products are in general invisible, but you find them all around you, and they're essentially in our daily life, and non-metallics is part of it. The non-metallics, the basics, um, are used across multiple industries. You find them in automotive, in aerospace, in energy, to name a few. If you think about it, and to, to put it in a simple word, uh, words, we enable clean mobility. In fact, we lighten any object, and we enable customers to become more sustainable. And it's a fabulous opportunity for us to be leading pure play in clean mobility on scope three. We're also helping, obviously, the oil and gas industry to become more sustainable by replacing metal with composites risers. So, to give you a bit of, of, of taste and to put it in context, for every 100 kilo weight reduction in a car, it leads to lower CO2 emissions by 7.6 gram per, kilo, per kilometer. <laughs> we replace metal in the wings of your aircraft, which reduce CO2 emission by 15% over the life cycle of the plane. So now to finish with, replacing metal is not easy. Yeah? It requires high performing materials, technology, application engineering know-how, and today what we offer is already, you know, really good, but you continue innovating and investing in developing, for example, thermoplastic composites, circular products, which are used in the most demanding application where corrosion, high pressure, temperature and structural components are not negotiable as a need. So while we need to stay also competitive with the low, you know, total cost of ownership. So innovation is key. The market is real. We are excited as a company because we can win. And obviously, it's worth it both in the financial terms and for the sustainability also agenda. Ahmed Al Saadi, what is Aramco's interest in non-metallics? Why are you investing in this area? The first trigger of non-metallic is when we were faced with, you know, uh, a lot of corrosion issues in our systems. 
So I remember then when we did the first uh, collaboration with, uh, with NIS, uh, the National Association of Corrosion Engineers, trying to quantify the cost of corrosion. Uh, I, remember, I remember the figures are, are lower than what they are today, but they were really very uh, astronomical figure then about, we're talking about $1 trillion dollar in, in 99, which is really huge at, at that time. So that was really the first trigger, which really kind of uh, took us on, onto that path. And uh, since then, we were really doing a lot of uh, work, a lot of R&D and, and deployment of, of non-metallic in our, in our business. And, and we've really seen the, the benefit of, uh, of doing that in, in, many of the, uh, in many of the applications that suffered from high corrosion in, in oil and gas. Fantastic. So Enrique Garcia, you're working at the National Composite Center in the UK, which is a, a really leading center into this kind of research, applied research at a global level. What are you and your colleagues working on? What are the areas which you think have got the greatest promise? We see a lot of potential of composites all across the board. So traditionally, composites have been used for lightweighting, as, as has already been mentioned. But actually, because of the nature of composites, the fibers and the resins, you can actually tailor the materials for a lot of different applications. Uh, They're pretty much fatigue-free. Uh, they have very good corrosion resistance and uh, environmental resistance, for example. They can be multifunctionalized, which means that they can serve more than one purpose. So there's quite a lot of potential for further development of composite materials and finding more applications for composites. So aerospace, defense, and space, uh, everything that has to do with lightweighting is absolutely crystal clear. A lot of the development there is basically just trying to make sure that composites are more sustainable themselves so that it's easier to recycle. Uh, in some of the other areas, so uh, definitely massive potential for oil and gas, especially in the subsea applications. Uh, in wind, uh, they have already crystal clear uh, major uh, material for the development of uh, blades, but we see applications of composites in other areas like the towers for the floating devices. Construction infrastructure, again, if we can actually manage to go beyond the regulations uh, or adapt the regulations, there's a lot of potential for composite materials being used in very long lasting uh, construction infrastructure uh, buildings, uh, schools, bridges, definitely in marine. And since we're talking about uh, a cleaner of the the clean, let's say, economy, uh, they will play a significant role in hydrogen. So especially in hydrogen storage and distribution. So there's a lot of applications that we're, I mean, a lot of research that we're doing right now in terms of uh, how do we make sure that uh, composite storage, composite, composite tanks, pressure vessels are safer and lighter, but also how do you make sure that uh, you're developing completely safe uh, pipes to transport hydrogen? Claudio Santoni, you have decades of experience working on lightweight technologies. Where do you see the role of non-metallics at Aston Martin F1? Thank you, Nisha, for the, for the question. Um, I guess non-metallics in, in Formula One uh, today play a, an absolutely uh, critical role. In fact, I could not imagine uh, Formula One without uh, non-metallics. Um, I just checked just before this uh, uh, conversation with you um, with the chief engineer, and today's Formula One car uh, consists of about 55% in weight uh, of non-metallic materials. That's if we exclude the weight of uh, driver and, and, and fluids in, in the car. 
and the percentage would be uh, uh, even greater uh, if it wasn't for the F1 regulations that actually mandate the use of metallic materials for certain components um, of the car. Um, what I find um, very interesting historically, the, the reason why non-metallics were introduced in mass in, in Formula One, uh, it, it's actually because of uh, the aerodynamics uh, benefits, um, particularly the, the, the composite, the carbon fiber uh, composite hub, which is the main sort of monocoque structure for the car, was introduced in the early 1980s. Uh, mostly uh, because uh, the carbon fiber offered superior rigidity relative to uh, the aluminum counterpart that was being replaced. And therefore, with the superior rigidity, the sort of cross-sectional area of the monocoque, uh, and therefore uh, the cross-sectional area of the car could be reduced, uh, therefore reducing uh, aerodynamic drag and offering significant um, uh, benefits in terms of performance. And that trend has continued over the years. Another great property that we exploit um, uh, is the ability to form some of this carbon fiber uh, non-metallics into very complex uh, and engineered shapes for the body of the car, uh, which then uh, in turn produce the um, a, a fantastic aerodynamic uh, properties of, uh, of a modern Formula One car in terms of uh, um, uh, downforce and, and reduced aerodynamic drag. Uh, but over the years, I guess, uh, the materials have then gone from monocoque and bodywork into many more vehicle systems, which have been converted from metallic to non-metallic. Uh, and some of the most interesting examples um, uh, the gearbox casings you will find in, in some of the Formula One cars are made of non-metallic materials, but also suspension arms, uh, rollover protection systems, and many, many more uh, systems. So Ilham Kadri, if I may ask you, do you see the key overlap, the key benefit of composite materials, their lightweight, inherent lightweight structure or does it go beyond that oh it goes beyond this i mean when we replace the metal indeed um, as it was mentioned lightweight is extremely important for many good reasons but you need the high performance of the metal first so we don't compromise with uh, the performance of what we replace huh? this is the basic the common denominator uh, and you need more than that uh, you need you know if it's uh, an application where corrosion resistance high pressures high temperature if it's structural components like for example in aerospace are needed you need to meet it all right and on the so efficiency is important uh, less co2 emission if it's a mobile obviously uh, it brings less co2 emissions because it's lighter. Well, having said all of this, you also need to stay competitive and to have a low total cost of ownership because that's what our customers and the end users they want. They want it to be so high performance, high performance material with good application engineering, um, lower emissions, which is good for the planet, and low total cost of ownership is key. Given the significant costs incurred through metal corrosion, should governments be pushing harder for a transition to non-metallics? as part of broader sustainability measures? Ahmed Al-Sadi? Well, uh, I think governments uh, definitely can, can help in, in moving to non-metallic. 
but uh, I think we need to be a little bit prudent on, on when and how to use non-metallic compared to other material, because at the end of the day, we need all type of materials. So uh, it's not going to be either or. I think we need uh, a combination of, of steel, metallic, and, and other materials to be able to deal with the uh, process that we are handling. Uh, and, uh, you know, non-metallic, uh, at the end of the day, they will have to make economic sense when, when, we, uh, when we deploy them. And normally, when we look at the life cycle of the, of the material, uh, non-metallic non has really proven to be very, uh, very cost-effective uh, compared to the alternatives. Ilham, I wanted you to ask you about what you're doing at Solvay. Which are currently the big areas for you in terms of non-metallic materials? And where do you see the greatest promise in the future? What are you most excited about in terms of future growth? So our business today in materials, it's almost 3 billion, 2.9 billion euro in 2021. Uh, and we've seen sales grow double digit in the past. And we foresee, you know, the same type of growth in the future. Um, our applications, um, they go across multiple industries, automotive, aerospace, energy again. Um, and, and we are very excited because it's an area of growth and it will significantly accelerate over the next 10 years. And the energy transition is happening now. Uh, and there are so many growth opportunities there for our customers. They need lighter, faster, stronger material. Um, in, in, in the traditional energy, for example, the oil and gas production, we still have more sustainable reinforced thermoplastic pipes, thermoplastic composite pipes for flexible rises. We talked about them. Hydrogen storage is another area for growth for us. We're active in the green hydrogen value chain will be one of the most competitive low carbon solution for transportation application, uh, clean mobility again, electric hybrid, obviously, um, and roughly half of all cars produced worldwide are expected to be either fully electric or hybrid by 2030. So the growth opportunities are simply huge. So in fact, uh, since I joined the company back in 2019, we created uh, you know, a, a pure growth platform in thermoplastic composites for, and one for, for batteries, one for hydrogen. And this platform brings together all the expertise we have across different businesses at Solvay. It allows us to share that expertise between businesses because a solution doesn't come from only one material. You, you need several thermoplastic composites. You need the composite know-how. You need to blend all of this. And alliances are key. We cannot do it alone such a one with Baker Hughes, uh, working with Aramco, uh, working with Enrico as well. So uh, because you need to, to, to go fast and but, and but you need to risk the, uh, to share the risks, right? And to manage the risk in such a project. So you need the whole value chain end to end to be working together and alliances are key to drive such innovations. So we've been hearing about the application of non-metallics and composite materials in renewable energy and in driving the energy transition across a whole number of different sectors. But what about high hazard environments like space exploration or very high temperature industrial use? Um, Enrique, can I ask you, are there technical limitations for composites and non-metallics in these kind of environments? When people think about traditional composite materials, yes, there is a, a limitation in terms of how high of a temperature they can manage. Uh, but actually there is a lot of development and uh, there, there are already uh, composites being used in extremely high temperature applications. So you have carbon carbon or silicon carbide, silicon carbide 
composites that are ceramic matrix composites, as we call them, and also metal matrix composites that can actually withstand extremely high temperature uh, environments. Uh, definitely composites are massively used in space and we will definitely see more and more of that. Even there's also a really interesting development around the possibility of manufacturing in space and composites are very well suited for that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we can definitely find the right matrix and the right fiber that will actually work in this harsh environment. So we talked about high temperature, but obviously the very nature of composites, they really are highly resistant to corrosion, highly resistant to environmental impact. Uh, so if you're talking about harsh environments in that sense, uh, they're naturally a really good choice, basically, for those harsh environments. So again, if you play with the right materials, with the right uh, resins and the right fibers, you can definitely find an application for composites in the harsh environment. As an engineer, Claudio, do you feel confident in the safety of non-metallics in motorsports, where there can be such a fine line sometimes between life and death? Okay, this, this is um, uh, very interesting because the story I just told you, when, when carbon fiber was introduced in the early 1980s for, uh, like I just said, mostly aerodynamics, so to make the monocoque in the cockpit smaller and smaller, without reducing, uh, without losing any rigidity, structural rigidity, there was actually a concern right at the beginning that the crash worthiness of these materials and therefore the safety of the driver uh, could be compromised. But actually, um, it, it was one of the very early crash tests that if you actually Google it on YouTube, was actually caught on camera in 1981 in Monza that actually proved uh, the, um, this, this idea, this concept of the safety cell. So the monocoque made of carbon fiber, um, it, it's a very safe um, environment for, for the driver. Um, and it, 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 it has superior qualities in terms of safety and strength and ability to absorb the impact. And that early sort of pioneering experience um, then led to more systematic development and exploitation of those safety properties. Uh, and today's Formula One cars are, are renowned for the level of safety in, in high-speed impacts. And there are carbon fiber elements um, which are designed to dissipate the energy in a crash. So, for example, the, the front nose cone uh, is designed to, uh, uh, to do exactly that job and absorb the energy of, of a collision. Um, there are also um, crash absorbing uh, uh, elements, structural elements on the side of the monocoque under the side pods, which uh, uh, are covered by the, the bodywork. And then you've got the monocoque itself or the rollover protection systems on, on some cars, which are actually designed to withstand extremely high loads and preserve the integrity of the survival space uh, for the driver. And what's really fasc fascinating is that over the years, this idea and this, this, uh, this technique and technology has actually been taken from the track to, uh, to road car technology. And there is a number of, uh, since the early 1990s, a number of um, uh, sort of high profile, high performance, hypercars and supercars, which have been built with um, a carbon fiber monocoque technology uh, and homologated to uh, global um, safety 
standards in terms of crash wardness, uh, and they provide superior safety uh, levels uh, relative to metallic uh, uh, equivalent designs. Ilhan Kadri. For me, the sky is not the limit here, right? So uh, at Solvay, um, we we have application in space suits to spaceships, right? Composite and specialty polymers, right? So we've been actually participating. Do you, did you know that Solvay materials were on board the Apollo 11 mission that sent humans to the moon, right? With some of our thermoplastic composites, which were, were developed back in 1965, right? So I think the, the usage of thermoplastic products and material and, term, and and composite material thermoset but also the future thermoplastic polymer uh, composite is it, just starting and will continue it's it has been a small step for polymers <laughs> step for humanity um to to take some images here but i think the the, the innovation the science uh, to bring, you know, an out-of-autoclave thermoset, to bring um, highly engineered products, epoxy products or thermoplastics. Um, and, and our very early involvement in the space market um, has been supporting our innovation because innovations come actually from the space, uh, you know, much more because it's, it's harsh environments, it's highly demanding, and we bring it actually to more commercial-driven products. So, um, yeah, we, we, we love the space. Uh, we have been participating for decades, and I think it's fueling our innovation pipeline. Claudio Santoni, the chassis of F1 cars are made from carbon fiber and other ultra lightweight materials. You have, of course, very tight weight limits for competition cars. How has the introduction of carbon fibers changed performance? So in, in, in Formula One, uh, we need to be mindful there is a, um, when it comes to carbon fiber and, and composites application, for example, you take the structure of the car, which is in, in weight, I believe, the largest composite item on the car, there is quite a, a, a strict infrastructure of regulations which limits, uh, actually, um, the panel of materials, fibers, you mentioned fibers in particular, that can be used uh, for the design, the engineering and, and manufacturing of the carbon fiber chassis. So we need to consider that um, there are limitations in terms of uh, uh, what can be done in, in, in that particular respect. Uh, however, um, um, and without giving away um, <laughs> too many secrets, I suppose, um, th there is a continuous uh, uh, trend of innovation. Uh, F1 is uh, often referred to as the, the fastest innovation lab in the world, um, and a continuous pursuit for lightweight um, and non-metallics um, is one of the key technologies for reducing uh, structural weight in the car even further in the future. And I deliberately need to be a little bit vague here um, because I clearly am not at liberty to disclose um, uh, the, the most live innovations which are happening as we speak in the, in the F1 design office. Um, the parallel to that is, is the automotive high-performance domain, which is also, um, like I mentioned earlier, because of electrification undergoing uh, an incredible amount of transformation, 
And in this field, uh, I really think we're going to see some really exciting uh, innovation steps. Um, uh, in particular, um, and, and we discussed with uh, and, and we collaborate with um, Aramco on this on this particular principle. There is clearly different ways of innovating and, and looking for lightweight and a conservative way of, of doing it is to look at individual parts uh, in the car uh, and, and replace or swap material from metallics to non-metallics for those individual parts. And that's one relatively safe and slow approach to, to innovation. But in parallel to that, there is also right now a big opportunity for a more holistic um, redesign of the car um, or systems, entire systems in the car, uh, which is what I believe will lead to the biggest uh, weight reduction and, and, uh, and the biggest level of functional integration. And that I believe is the best uh, approach to extract and exploit all the values out of the non-metallics. Ahmed al Saadi, what role do you think collaboration plays in the deployment of non-metallic solutions? Well, I mean, definitely collaboration, like anything, is, is, is really very fundamental for the success of any uh, you know, development. Uh, we are doing uh, a lot of things uh, in non-metallic, and uh, we are collaborating with many of the industry leaders. Uh, for example, uh, we have established our first non-metallic center at, at Cambridge in the UK with the uh, TWI, the Welding Institute, and that was primarily focused on oil and gas. We have been uh, operating that center for the last three or four years. Uh, we have many people joining, including uh, ADNOC uh, out of UAE. Uh, following that center, we also opened two other centers, one in, in Detroit uh, uh, with the American Concrete uh, Institute, focusing on construction material, given the importance of, uh, of this sector. Uh, this was done last year, followed by another center in China, focusing again on construction material. We believe between these three centers would be really covering the, the two main sectors, oil and gas, as well as construction material. In addition, we've been collaborating with many of the industry leaders uh, like Solvay and, and Baker Hughes. Uh, I'm glad to say that with Baker Hughes, we have established the, ship, the first JV and non-metallic in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we are now doing some development for new materials. The JV will be operational uh, around mid or third quarter next year. And uh, it's really distant for, for new developments. And uh, our actually our uh, agreement with, with Baker Hughes is really to, to grow it and to address other uh, sectors beside oil and gas. Uh, however, we, we decided to start in the oil and gas given the knowledge that both Baker Hughes and ourselves has in that, in that field. Uh, I guess also with the survey, we are uh, looking at uh, investing together on, on carbon fiber, which hopefully would be another major uh, collaboration with, uh, with another leader in the industry. Can you unpack some of those thoughts for us, please, Enrique Garcia, um, around the lifespan of materials, about recycling and creating circular economies? 
I mean, we still have a way to go in terms of finding the right solutions for more sustainable composites. So composites are really stable from a chemical point of view. They're really difficult to attack. And that is great when you have something manufactured and, I mean, expanding the life uh, cycle of, of the product is great. But actually, it is a disadvantage when it comes to getting the raw materials back and then giving them a, a second life, as Ilan was, uh, was mentioning, right? So there's still quite a lot of uh, development there. But uh, the, I think that most of the very significant advances are already pretty much there. Uh, so if you find a way to actually make composites more recyclable, which is something that is, again, happening, then composites are extremely well positioned to actually just become one of the major disruptors in terms of uh, getting a more sustainable solutions for everything. Because again, if you think about light weighting and the reduction in emissions or the, the better performance that you can get from, from a vehicle when, when you're using composite because it's lighter, if you can actually reuse that material in, in a second life, then you have the perfect situation, right? It's uh, you're using the best possible material at a reasonable cost, and also the, that material you can recover and then use in something else. So the goal is to actually get to that point. Uh, but again, sustainable composites is is a challenging uh, is challenging. So thermoplastics most definitely are a way one of the possible ways of, of uh, getting more sustainable composite, more easily recyclable. But even then, there are challenges that we still need to work. And as, as we were mentioning before, I think that uh, the collaboration of the entire supply chain is actually quite critical. Uh, so this is actually one of the really exciting uh, points in, in, in the development in the future years for me. And definitely one of the things that we are, as the NCC, are investing uh, massively on. We've talked about the use of non-metallic materials and composites in transport, from aerospace to autos, in the oil and gas industry, in various renewable and renewable energy applications. We haven't really looked very much at um, construction in the building industry. What's the potential there? Can you explain that to us, Ilham? And and Enrique, Ilham, why don't you go first? Yeah, I mean, it's not, uh, you know, a big application these days, but, you know, I, I put it, uh, Nisha, on the energy transition in general, right? So the building and construction have huge challenge in terms of finding materials which can support the energy transition, better insulation, better performance at lower cost. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to come to replacing metal in construction in the future. I think our focus as a company first uh, is, is the green in the energy, right? Uh, from, you know, as you say, the hydrogen transportation storage, it's huge, it's usage because it's huge opportunity. And now it's kicking off. The clean mobility is, is for us the focus with the oil and gas. But definitely there is there is a huge opportunity as well in construction which has other challenges to start with before going to the thermoplastic composite. Again, it has to be affordable. There, I think the level of, of cost target is even lower than in other, you know, industries like aerospace, like the space, you know, demand, oil and gas arises, et cetera. So definitely it's gonna, we have more than, you know, yeah, 900 million, a billion of pipeline and demand and construction is part of it. Just in terms of priorities, I think we will see it kicking it off quickly uh, in transportation, cleaner mobility, uh, oil and gas industry before it hits the construction. 
Enrique Garcia, carbon fibers and other non-metallics are beginning to be used in the construction sector. What's their potential, do you think? The way we see it, we have been looking into construction for quite a while, and there are certain things that uh, could actually enable significant increase in the use of composites. So one of the things is regulations. Uh, so we have a very regulated, for all the right reasons, industry, and the sector is a relatively... Uh, well, they know their materials really well, and they, they are not necessarily interested in introducing something that they don't know that well. So I think that regulations and getting a better understanding of where composites can be applicable, because they're not applicable everywhere, but that there are extremely interesting applications for composites in construction infrastructure. So getting the right conversation with the regulators and also with the people that set up the requirements for certain buildings or certain infrastructure is one of the ways of unlocking that. Ahmed Al-Sabi? You know, one of the key uh, sectors that we think there is a huge potential for non-metallic is, uh, is construction. Construction material uh, has very low penetration of non-metallic, less than 3% of, of, of the construction material are made of non-metallic. So today we are uh, going into several tracks and deploying non-metallic in, in that sector. For example, uh, rebar of uh, steel rebar that is used in concrete are being now uh, replaced by by fiberglass material. And actually, in, uh, in in one of our facilities, we have deployed the biggest uh, uh, deployment of non-metallic rebar in the in a water channel. Uh, which is uh, in excess of uh, 11,000 linear meter in, in, one, in one deployment. So this is really kind of setting a new standard for, for the industry. Similarly, on the, on the mix of the concrete, we are now adding resins material at certain percentages while maintaining the strength of the concrete uh, you know, material. So the, these are really areas that uh, definitely are very promising and can really take a lot of uh, use of non-metallic. And this would be really very helpful in reducing the emissions. Okay, thank you. Ilham, to what extent is it the case that the feedstocks for the kind of materials you'll be working on for non-metallics basically come from the oil and gas industry? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And first of all, the carbon is not the enemy in my mind, right, Nisha? So I think you, we should go back to the basics and the thermoplastic composite, in, in, in my mind, it's bringing together the best of two words. And existing words with the, our experience at Solvay, which has been acquired over more than 30 years in composites. And what I, I'm excited about is to see more collaboration, right? More energy support and momentum around creating this avenue of, of innovation, which, by the way, are going to just... Uh, uh, enable some industries like the oil and gas to become more sustainable, right? Because the world, as we are switching to cleaner energies, right, with the carbonation of the industry, we are still using, you know, fossil fuel products, you know, fuel and, and gas, etc. So I think the demand for more sustainable applications and rises, et cetera, is real today. And it supports that industry to become more sustainable while, you know, the, the, the industries and frankly, all regions are working on 2050 and even earlier 
carbon neutrality like we do at Solvay. Ahmed Al-Sadi, can you quantify for us, Ahmed, the extent to which non-metallics can help you in energy production, in reducing emissions or in improving safety? Maybe it will be a, a bit difficult to quantify it, but uh, in, in general term, it is uh, when it comes to safety, is uh, uh, definitely it is uh, it is more durable compared to some of the uh, other material in, in certain applications, which are uh, uh, handling very corrosive and very aggressive material. Uh, however, that needs to be taken also in context because. Uh, some of the uh, metallic material don't have the strength that the steel material has. So we have to use it in the right place at the right time. And, uh, and all of these are uh, typically are spelled out in our engineering standards and the application that we can use in a metallic. But uh, in, in, in a nutshell, uh, when they are used in the right place at the right time, they further our uh, ability to, uh, to protect the environment and, and have a safe uh, operations. Enrique Garcia? I think it's an interesting one. Um, I think that we need to be realistic. So everyone is thinking about uh, clean, a complete, completely clean future, but uh, there is a transition period. And during that transition period, composites are absolutely going to be needed, or at least that's our take. There's massive potential for the use of composites. And the overall benefit, environmental benefit, is clear because lightweighting means less emissions or even with when you're talking about EV or electric vehicles or hydrogen, lightweighting also means more performance, more miles or less energy needed to be manufactured uh, or, or generated. Um, so I think realistically speaking, yes, the demand for oil should be going down, but uh, we will need to manufacture composite materials because again, the environmental impact of the overall environmental impact should be better by, yes, emitting to manufacture those composite materials, but then using those materials in the right products. So yes, in, in a way, it is a really interesting transition that uh, companies like Aramco are, are going to face. But I think that, yes, this actually opens a really, really important avenue for them because composites will be needed. And realistically speaking, we cannot manufacture enough composite materials that are bio-based in time to actually deliver everything that needs to be delivered by the use of composites. Claudio Santoni. If we look at the last um, 40 years, since the very first pioneering uh, design for, for carbon fiber um, chassis for, for, for road cars was, was, uh, was introduced, there has been a tremendous development. We have uh, seen development in the, in, the, in the materials technology, in the processing technologies, the, the manufacturing concepts have been scaled up from um, uh, with, with cycle times uh, going from days, which is what it used to take to make a single monocoque, down to minutes. So today, a carbon fiber monocoque can be made uh, with, with cycle times of a few minutes. So automotive is undergoing uh, this big uh, transformation from internal combustion uh, into into electrification or electrified powertrains, and this is opening up a range of new opportunities for non-metallics. First of all, batteries are very heavy, uh, and heavy uh, batteries uh, lead to heavy cars, and that's uh, not good for performance and for a number of other reasons. 
and therefore lightweight materials, which non-metallics are, will uh, be required in, in greater quantities to offset the weight of batteries. But also non-metallics uh, are typically uh, very good uh, insulator materials, so they come in very handy when there is high voltage systems uh, to be um, uh, insulated. And, and the other thing is that you've got to consider internal combustion engines typically run very hot. Uh, temperature is not um, uh, it's not great with, with non-metallics, but electrical powertrain run much cooler, and therefore this will enable uh, the usage of, of non-metallics more extensively in what we used to call the engine bay um, and or under the bonnet uh, applications. So this is a, a, a great opportunity, I believe, um, and we will see uh, quite a lot of development uh, in fact, uh, at Aston Martin, we have already started uh, some really exciting collaboration work with Aramco um, on uh, developing uh, polymeric technologies for uh, the, the, the high voltage battery uh, pack structures. Uh, one of the interesting properties I, I have learned from, from Aramco, uh, which is excellent with um, some of the polymer uh, technology they're developing, is the flame retardancy, which is another aspect of safety, which is particularly important for electric car to manage uh, thermal uh, runaway events, which is typical of uh, lithium-ion batteries. So that's another reason why, uh, combined with everything I've said, uh, I, uh, I'm uh, uh, convinced we will see um, uh, quite a lot of them. Um, uh, uptake of uh, non-metallics uh, into automotive, more mainstream automotive in the future. We've had a discussion which has explored so many different avenues. How close are we to realizing these? I'd like you to peer into your crystal balls, please. Look into the next decade and make your best guess on how far will non-metallic materials go, composite materials go, in displacing metals over the next decade. Ilham Kadri. Well, it depends by industry initial. So uh, in aerospace, um, they are looking for light weighing and faster cycle times. Uh, obviously, they have been a slowdown due to COVID pandemic, but things are going to go back. And almost in after the bottleneck and things go back to normal, almost 2,000 aircrafts will be needed every year. And to meet this level of demand, it requires new approaches, new technologies. There is more demand for less polluting and emitting aircraft. So thermoplastic composites are expected to play an important role in accelerating that development cycle and reducing aircraft's construction time significantly, making them uh, you know, cleaner, et cetera. In automotive, uh, this is an industry where you are looking for high volume production, design freedom, uh, obviously, the move to EV and hybrid is real today. So the thermoplastics composites is, again, a new avenue of product that can make significant contribution to achieving goals like low, low weights, high strength to weight ratio, et cetera, carb less em emission in carbon, et cetera. And finally, the oil and gas, uh, they are looking for resistance and lower total cost of ownership. Uh, and the oil and gas industry must meet growing demand, right, for fuel, but an, an affordable price. Uh, and we see it these days, and this requires uh, lighter subsea production system. 
that allow producers to access deep water fields. At the same time, they must reduce their total installed cost of their drill drilling infrastructure. So lighter and stronger thermoplastic composite material are already providing a viable uh, and in the future more and more cost-effective alternative to existing steel solutions and obviously with, with less weight. So no, the market is real, the demand is there. Uh, we have science and ingenuity and now by working together through the value chain, we need to build that critical mass and lower the total cost of ownership. Claudio Santoni, finally, when you look ahead, what kind of uses do you see for non-metallic materials that we're not contemplating right now? What role could they play in helping us to reduce carbon emissions? Um, Non-metallics is, is a very large uh, definition and, and it includes many, many different types of materials. And I suppose personally, I specialize more on the uh, sort of long fiber, carbon fiber, rainforest, uh, plastics, CFRP, uh, and, and they're used in uh, structural applications, automotive applications, um, and the ability to recycle these materials, the technology does exist. Uh, and uh, what is under development at the moment is to turn that technology into a, 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 an economically viable supply chain to recycle the material back into uh, into new applications and create more of a circular uh, economy or circular uh, loop for the material. Um, the, there have been there has been tremendous progress in in the last few years. So we've got the technology. The technology is now available. Certainly in the UK, um, it's actually only uh, about an hour drive from, from Silverstone, from where we, we based, one example of that technology. The materials can be turned into uh, new material formats. Uh, and we are now, this is the exciting bit that is happening as we speak, uh, we are now seeing the first commercially available material formats that we can go and, as application engineers, if you like, we can go and buy uh, and reuse, and these materials are made of recycled um, uh, carbon composites. The origin of the uh, the carbon composites is from a, a range of different industries, so from aerospace, uh, wind, uh, and also automotive itself, and, and other sporting goods. Um, so the supply chain is now, for the first time, uh, and I've been, I've been in this industry for many years, it's now for the first time, as starting to operate at a commercially uh, a viable rate. Um, it is at startup level, uh, but um, uh, it, it, it is happening and, and it does exist. Ahmed Al Sadi, if I could ask you that question too, how do you see the future in terms of the deployment of non-metallics, perhaps in areas which we're barely thinking about right now? Well, I mean, uh, I have to say that uh, as we know, the non-metallic material more, we see a lot of uses for it. Uh, for example, uh, uh, when we did our strategy, we identified more than 10 sectors where we can deploy non-metallic. We have prioritized these sectors and the top five sectors became as the oil and gas, construction, renewables, packaging, and automotives. 
But also there is much more than that. There is like the appliances that we use at home. Many of these are, uh, are, are, are made out of non-metallic, including the, uh, the internal decoration of, of homes. So there is really huge, I mean, potential for non-metallic uh, as we as we produce more material with with certain uh, you know attributes, and I believe the the, the potential is really great. Enrique Garcia, how far will non-metallic materials go in displacing metals in the next decade? Are we going to see some surprises? I think some of the sectors were already really well covered, uh, so I'm going to focus maybe on some of the others where we're seeing a lot of applications. Only wind again. Composites are already being used in blades, and they're the material. It's as far as I can tell, it's probably the only material that they can use to manufacture longer and longer blades. And this is the trend that will still be there. What we're seeing is that uh, there is possible displacement of metals also in other areas, like towers and the floating devices. So if I have to guess, probably not in the next generation, uh, but we could see more application of composites in the wind industry in particular. Uh, also in energy, I mean, we talked about uh, very high temperature uh, possible applications. What we're seeing is that some ceramic matrix composites could actually see some very niche but extremely interesting use in, in fusion and in fission uh, in, in energy. We talked about construction infrastructure. Uh, we definitely see uh, a lot of application, and we're already seeing countries, again, in the Middle East, uh, Spain, uh, the Netherlands, they're using loads of composites already in very important infrastructure. So what we probably will see is that little by little, composites will actually penetrate. Uh, in this industry, probably will go slightly slower. Uh, for me, the most important surprise, and I've been mentioning this a number of times, would be, I mean, what I'm really hoping is that within the next 10 years, we will actually find avenues to fully recycle and have fully sustainable composites. That would be the key for me. If we don't do that, we really need to well, recalibrate if we really want to use composites further on. So I think, again, going back to what I was saying before, I think that realistically speaking, in the transition, composites are absolutely needed, even the current shape of, of, of materials, but we really need to invest in developing the sustainable solutions that will allow us to have a second and a third and a fourth life from composite materials. And that is what I expect to see in the next 10 years. Enrique Garcia, Ahmed Al-Sadi, Claudius Antoni and Ilham Kadri, thank you for joining me to discuss the potential for non-metallic materials. It looks like there's a lot more innovation to come. If you've enjoyed listening, why not check out the other episodes on this series, exploring the role of the energy sector in a lower carbon future. This podcast has been brought to you by Reuters Plus in partnership with Aramco.